Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite clear aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. you watch the hearings today? If you did, let's make sense of it together. If you didn't, we will fill you in. It relates to uh, everything, pretty much. It seems the deeper they go, the more universal things get. And we have a bunch of guests tonight to help make sense of all of it. The great Malcolm Nance returns to the show tonight. One of our favorite guests. We're always thrilled anytime Mr. Nance joins us. And he's not here to talk about how he left the country to go fight in Ukraine. His new book is released today. It's called They Want to Kill Americans, the Militia, Terrorists, and Deranged Ideology of the Trump Insurgency. One of the smartest and most ferocious thinkers in American political thought. I am so thrilled Malcolm is back on the show. Also, the great Amanda Marcotte of Salon is back with us. We're going to be talking with her about making sense of the hearings as well as progressive frustrations with Joe Biden's administration and their reaction to the gutting of Roe v. Wade. And is there a link between a lack of fight from this White House and his drastic drop in approval? I, I, I kind of find, here, here's the deal, folks, and, and I, let me know how you feel about this. I, I sort of find every single day um, I am accused of being a Biden basher and I am accused of being a Biden apologist. And I'm kind of just getting used to it. I will praise him all day long for the achievements of his administration. And I will also uh, not be shy about saying, hey, you know what? There's other things that could be happening right here. This was how my life was every day Barack Obama was president. I think I was always called an Obama basher and an Obama apologist. I, I, I kind of feel like I need your help on this. Where is the line? There has to be a line somewhere here, right? And the line is is around holding our administration to account, not being a cult member, not being afraid to criticize our own side, at the same time, making sure we're not forming a circular firing squad, making sure we are not hurting the Democratic ticket in advance of these midterms, which are going to be the most recent edition of the most important election. So there's a lot to get to and all night long. 
As always, our most important guest is you guys. Let's do a show. Did you see the hearings today? If so, I'm dying to know what your thoughts were. You can always call us live at 866-997-GRIT, or you can always, of course, uh, let us know what you thought on our show's Facebook page, right to my Twitter, right to johnfuglesang.com. I, I keep thinking we're done with these hearings. There's nothing else they can tell us, right? I mean, wh- whose mind is going to be further made up? At times, I'm actually wondering, are these hearings just for an audience of one? Is all of this just an elaborate performance of Merrick Garland Idol, hoping that one man will be moved enough to take action? Is that one man already taking action? Well, today the hearings came back for the next to last televised session, and they were explaining how Trump, you know, summoned the mob. I mean, it's really obvious. There's a lot of evidence, a lot of physical evidence already to indict all these creeps. I mean, it's not enough to go after Trump. And quite frankly, folks, I don't care what happens to Trump. I care about the enablers. I care about the allies. I care about having a playing field where the flunkies and winged monkeys in Congress and the media should have to face consequences. There is no reasonable doubt that these people were plotting to overthrow the U.S. government. And if you have any doubts that Donald Trump was summoning the crowd with tweets, today's hearing was proof that repeatedly naming the date of January 6th and telling his supporters more than once, it'll be wild, was the incitement that summoned his terrorist mob. I'm going to talk about this with Malcolm Nance tonight because I don't like calling him insurrectionists. I, I, I call them terrorists. That's what I see in the... It's not a coup. They're terrorists. And today they laid out evidence that Trump was egging on these extremists who supported him ahead of January 6th with one of his former supporters who's pled guilty to being at the Capitol that day, testifying the president got everybody riled up, told everyone to head on down, so we basically were just following what he said. (sighs) Well, that didn't work in Nuremberg. It shouldn't work here. You weren't just following orders, guys. You knew what you were doing was wrong. The hearing today began with Donald Trump's tweet, sent at 1.42 in the morning on December 19th, 2020 which just said, big protest in D.C. on January 6th. Be there. Will be wild. Jamie Raskin on the committee said that post electrified the extremist supporters of Donald Trump to come to the Capitol. He said many members of this crowd could be led to storm the Capitol, confront the the White House, the, the vice president and Congress and overturn the election results. Now, we want to know what you guys think. Uh, but today we learned a lot. And and all I want to do here is just run through some of the information we learned today and get your thoughts. We learned Trump supporters promoted January 6th as the Red Wedding. Are you you a Game of Thrones fan? Do Do you know the Game of Thrones parlance? Do you know what that refers to? Because <laughs> the very fact that they were gleefully using that term. In Game of Thrones lingo, that means a ruthless bloodbath. That means a sea of flesh and bone and murder, mass slaughter. That's what this Republican Party was that day, a domestic terrorist organization that wanted blood. Today, we learned there was a Twitter employee who testified anonymously in a previous interview who said that after the Donald Trump tweet, it felt as if a mob was being organized 
and they were gathering together their weaponry and their logic and their reasoning behind why they were prepared to fight. You know what else we learned? Give a listen. A1, Bill Barr said, Trump wanted to seize the voting machines. My recollection is the president said something like, uh, well, we could get to the bottom. You know, some people say we could get to the bottom of this if, if the department sees the machines. It was a typical way of raising a point. And I said, absolutely not. There's no probable cause and I'm not going to seize any machines. And that was that. Yeah. We also learned Trump was told by his lawyers that after the Electoral College voted Joe Biden the winner on the 14th of December, there were no legal options left. Trump knew everything after the 14th of December was illegal. We learned today that Trump was planning for days before January 6th to ask his supporters to march to the Capitol. The MyPillow guy knew Trump was going to call for a surprise march at the Capitol in advance. Oh, we learned uh, Pat Cipollone, or Pat Cipollone, I don't discriminate, whatever you prefer to call him. He said Mark Meadows told him early on that Trump should just concede. And yet Meadows then goes on to help Trump carry out every bit of this attempt to overthrow our election, which makes Mark Meadows even more guilty because he knew all along it wasn't legitimate. Here's Jamie Raskin now talking about my favorite thing. The best thing we learned today was about this crazy batshit meeting at the White House on December 18th. Pat Cipollone described it as unhinged, this meeting in the White House. He testified that some Trump allies, including election lawyer Sidney Powell and Donald Trump's former national security advisor Michael Flynn, exhibited what he called a general disregard for backing what you can actually say with facts. In the hours that led up to this tweet, Again, Trump's tweet came early in the morning, 1.42 a.m. on December 19th. But it's what happened December 18th, the hours leading up to it, when Trump met with all the Suicide Squad, including Sidney Powell, Michael Flynn, Rudy Giuliani, and for some reason, the CEO of Overstock.com, Patrick Byrne. Here's Jamie Raskin, A2, describing this six-hour meeting on December 18th, 2020, at the White House, four days after they knew it really was over. Let's return to that meeting at the White House on the evening of December 18. That night, a group showed up at the White House, including Sidney Powell, retired Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, and former Overstock.com CEO Patrick Byrne. After gaining access to the building from a junior White House staffer, the group made their way to the Oval Office. They were able to speak with the president by himself for some time until White House officials learned of the meeting. What ensued was a heated and profane clash between this group and President Trump's White House advisors who traded personal insults, accusations of disloyalty to the president, and even challenges to physically fight. The meeting would last over six hours, beginning here in the Oval Office, moving around the West Wing, and many hours later ending up in the president's private residence. Did you catch how crazy that was? The craziest part of all of that? After gaining access to the building by a junior White House staffer. What? Who exactly let all the kooks into the White House to have this six-hour meeting with Donald Trump? And then you hear about all the, you know, conservative Republicans who work there trying to get the crazies out of the building. But see, the conservative Republicans weren't telling Big Baby what he wanted to hear. 
The sycophants were. Pat Cipollone said, I was not happy to see the people in the Oval. The Overstock person? I didn't know who this guy was. And again, you heard Jamie Raskin say this meeting was heated and profane in his testimony. Giuliani was recalling his own comments to the White House aides, saying that he had said, you guys are not tough enough, or maybe I'll put it another way, you're a bunch of pussies. Excuse the expression, but I'm also sure those words were used. Here's Jamie Raskin again, A4, saying even Giuliani's legal team knew there was no evidence whatsoever of any election fraud. Here's an email from Rudy Giuliani's lead investigator, Bernie Carrick, on December 28, 2020, to Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. Mr. Carrick did not mince any words. We can do all the investigations we want later, but if the president plans on winning, it's the legislators that have to be moved, and this will do just that. Mr. Carrick wanted the president to win. What he didn't say in this email was what he would later tell the select committee in a letter that his lawyer wrote to us in November. The letter said, quote, It was impossible for Mr. Carrick and his team to determine conclusively whether there was widespread fraud or whether that widespread fraud would have altered the outcome of the election. In other words, even Rudy Giuliani's own legal team knew before January 6th that they hadn't collected enough actual evidence to support any of their stolen election claims. So here's my question to you. Is a civil war inevitable in this country or something worse than a civil war? I mean, we're already in a cold civil war, right? Uh, And we're not going to see states seceding and declaring war on each other. But as we'll discuss with Malcolm Nance and Amanda McCott later in the show, I mean, there are people out there who want to commit acts of violence. There are separatists. There are white supremacists. There are neo-Confederates. And the committee revealed these pro-Trump online spaces went into overdrive after Trump's tweet on December 19th calling for a big protest in D.C. on January 6th. Jamie Raskin recited a stream of openly homicidal, his words, and white nationalist rhetoric related to the rally planning, like the Donald win. On this site, users were calling on Trump supporters to come to D.C. with body armor and bats and bear spray and zip ties and other weapons that Capitol rioters would later be charged with carrying and using. Um, Jason Van Tattenhoff testified today, the former spokesman for the Oath Keepers. He said, I think we need to quit mincing words and just talk about truths. What it was going to be was an armed revolution. This could have been the spark that started a new civil war. Now, (laughs) guys, what does it look like to you? Again, I don't think we're going to see states seceding. You're not going to see cops and soldiers willing to give up their pensions and quit the U.S. to form their own country. I I think that the talk of civil war is terrifying because it's going to be something worse than that. We're not going to split into two countries again. It's going to happen neighborhood to neighborhood, block to block, door to door. To me, that's most scary. Uh, Stephen Ayers is a former Trump supporter who pled guilty in June to disorderly and disruptive conduct in a restricted building. He testified that they hadn't planned to go to the Capitol until Trump's speech at the Ellipse got everyone riled up. And it was only after Trump's little video he released hours later, hours after the riot, telling people to go home, the crowd dispersed. Mr. Ayers said, I was hanging on every word he was saying. Here's Liz Cheney addressing claims that Donald Trump himself was being manipulated by outside counsel, A5. 
And one more item. Today, there appears to be a general recognition that the committee has established key facts, including that virtually everyone close to President Trump, his Justice Department officials, his White House advisors, his White House counsel, his campaign, all told him the 2020 election was not stolen. This appears to have changed the strategy for defending Donald Trump. Now the argument seems to be that President Trump was manipulated by others outside the administration, that he was persuaded to ignore his closest advisors, and that he was incapable of telling right from wrong. This new strategy is to try to blame only John Eastman or Sidney mm -hmm. Powell or Congressman Scott Perry or others and not President Trump. In this version, the president was, quote, poorly served by these outside advisors. The strategy is to blame people his advisors called, quote, the crazies for what Donald Trump did. This, of course, is nonsense. President Trump is a 76-year-old man. He is not an impressionable child. Just like everyone else in our country, he is responsible for his own actions and his own choices. Boom. Now, we want to know what you guys think. The committee's going to hold one more meeting, one more hearing next week. That'll be prime time. And that's going to focus on what Trump himself was doing during the attack on our Capitol. At the very close of today's hearing, however, Liz Cheney dropped one last bombshell, which I've noticed she kind of does at the end of all these things. She said near the end of today's hearing that Trump had personally called an unidentified committee witness. Give a listen to this. It sounds like this happened very recently. After our last hearing, President Trump tried to call a witness in our investigation, a witness you have not yet seen in these hearings. That person declined to answer or respond to President Trump's call and instead alerted their lawyer to the call. Their lawyer alerted us. And this committee has supplied that information to the Department of Justice. Let me say one more time, we will take any effort to influence witness testimony very seriously. Handed to the Department of Justice. That's the real kicker there. The witness's lawyer reached out to the committee, which then supplied the information to Merrick Garland, which potentially escalates Trump's exposure to a witness intimidation charge. And look, here's my deal. We're all saying, what's Merrick Garland going to do? Guys, Merrick Garland knows. If he's going to do anything, he's going to do it. And I think he's going to do it. But my question is, are we going to realize this is about a lot more than just Donald Trump? And this movement is a lot more. Trump is just the hood ornament on the car that crashes into the marketplace. What are we going to do about this massive number of Americans who want to kill other Americans. Last year, U.S. spy agencies warned of an ongoing threat that racially motivated violent extremists like white supremacists will definitely be carrying out mass casualty attacks on civilians while militia groups target police and government personnel and buildings. The question is not whether it's going to happen again. It's when will it happen again? And was what we saw last year just a dress rehearsal for when they actually pull it off. 
Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Right now, democracy's on fire, and I am always so thrilled anytime we can get the great Amanda Marcotte to join us. She writes about politics for Salon.com. She's the author of Troll Nation, the excellent 2018 book that really details the downfall and degradation of the Republican Party into this just miasma of insults, resentments, and villainy and rank fuckery leading up to the presidency of Donald Trump. Also, subscribe every day to get Opening Act on Salon.com. It is a pleasure to welcome Amanda Marcotte back to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being back. I, I want to talk to you, obviously, about the, the committee hearings and about what's going on with Biden and then Biden's response to Roe. But I was just saying in the break, you've just recently brought back the opening act mailing every day via Salon. Can you tell folks about that? The My newsletter? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it's called Standing Room Only. You I'm sorry, Standing it. Room Only. Sorry. No, no. It's a. It's definitely one of those nights. <laughs> um, yeah, Standing Room Only. It's um, a biweekly newsletter. You can sign up for free at salon.com slash newsletters. Um, I just kind of do the newsletter thing with some music. <laughs> um, it's really great. And it actually ties in powerfully with today's hearing because you wrote about how the GOP Stasi is mapping its enemies, how there's this tendency to view January 6th like a singular event when the reality is this is part of an ongoing decades long campaign. I, we've got Malcolm Nance coming on later on to talk about his new book all about it, but how uh, there's apparently like they've created the, this, this woke heat map to target people who specifically they want to disenfranchise. Yeah, they call themselves the Liberty Alliance because all these people have troll names. Um, but obviously they're targeting people whose liberty they would like to strip away, LGBTQ people, people reading books they disapprove of, things like mm -hmm. that. So, And, and I, I connected, I think, to a larger situation that spans from the Kyle Rittenhouse trial to the abortion bounty hunter law, to this don't say gay law in Florida, over and over again, what we're seeing is the GOP doing what Trump kind of did on January 6th, which is empowering sort of everyday MAGA people to see themselves as kind of an extra legal police force to exactly. impose their will on their neighbors. Well, hence calling it a Stasi, right? Yeah, I mean, the Stasi was paid, so, but <laughs> these people apparently are an all-volunteer police force. 
Well, I mean, someone paid to bus him all down. Someone gave Charlie Kirk money for buses to bring him all down to D.C. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is like this whole new generation of brown shirts and these all too willing volunteers. It just kind of seems like no matter what decade we're looking at, Amanda, there's always conservative, hardworking white guys who are willing to go fight battles of wealthy Confederate plantation owners and that that's something that fascists can always rely on. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that's it, it it taps into a piece of of human psychology that we all have, which is we all want to be important. We all want to be effectual. We all want to belong to a group. And in a lot of cases, that can be a very good thing. You know, I've been and I've done activist work. I've gone to Black Lives Matter protests. I, you know, I'm on a Facebook group for for people in my neighborhood who want to swap free stuff. <laughs> Um, but it can also be tapped for evil. It can be tapped for people that their motivations are dark and, and sinister. And that's just always been with us. And I, I really don't know. I, it's kind of depressing how much Trump has been able to convince how many millions of people it turned out were ready to go there. And it just took Donald Trump to kind of convert them from people who just had these fantasies to somebody ready to act on it. Well, you tweeted earlier, I do think it's good for the January 6th committee that millions of Americans got way into documentaries about cults in the past few years. It really helps give them a baseline understanding of what we heard today. I completely agree. This is fundamentalism 101. Yeah, I wrote about it at Summit Salon today. I feel like the January 6th committee really was using kind of the narrative structure of like a cult documentary to kind of tell the story of these two men that we saw today, Stephen Ayers, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Jason Van, I forget his last name, Jason Van something or other. Yes. Um, I'm trying to pronounce it correctly. Yes. It, anyway, the, the former Oath Keeper and the guy that, that rioted at the Capitol were both portrayed as somebody who got into a cult um, and then found themselves in over their head. And I think it's an interesting way of framing it because I think a lot of people now understand because of all these cult documentaries and everything that's been out in the past few years, how a lot of people, nobody like thinks they're joining a cult. They think they're joining a Facebook group. Yes. And, and next thing you know, you're yelling about Hillary Clinton drinking baby blood and rioting in the Capitol. So I think that was kind of the narrative that they were trying to get at. I feel like the Oath Keepers guy was a little bit um, more articulate about that. It makes sense because he I used agree. to be a spokesperson. But he, he basically pointed out that once he was in, he was so financially dependent on them that it was hard to get out even when he wanted to. Yeah, Tattenhoff, he, he was the one who really made me view it uh, in cult terms. And, you know, you, you wrote there's some tension between portraying Trump as a knowing conspirator and portraying his followers as total dupes. You, you say it's not about the facts, but what people got out of it. Trump is a cult leader exploiting his followers who joined up, often out of ignorance and loneliness. That's the argument. Uh, Tattenhoff has pointed out their unsavory motives, though. Y you know, I, I completely agree. But we can't forget that even these men, even if Trump was lying to them, they do still have a lot of agency in the matter. You were talking about how Stephen Ayers, right after the riot, was trying to blame Antifa even though he said he went there on Trump's orders. Yeah, this is something I want to write about some more because I think it, it uh, today I was kind of trying to analyze what the January 6th committee was saying. 
And I think that it's very politically useful to tell a story where, yes, there's Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and those jerks. And then there's the sort of next circle, which is the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers who are also knowingly fascist, knowingly trying to overthrow the government. And then there's all the people that showed up at the Stop the Steal rally and kind of got swept up in the moment, which I do believe is probably true. It's easy to tell a story where those people are kind of innocent dupes that just believe the big lie because they trusted their president. And it gives all the other people who voted for Trump a kind of face-saving story to get out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I think... I can see the political value of all of that, but I also just am very skeptical of it um, because I think that that sort of sidesteps the fact that people don't become MAGA because they have good intentions in the first place. You know, you don't, nobody's under the illusion that Trump is anything but a racist pussy grabbing creep. And I, 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 you, oh, there's, there's quite a few, there's quite a few who are under the illusion. He's something other than that. I mean, there's a lot. (laughs) They, they, they convince themselves of it. They just are blind to the reality. But that's part of the cultism, right? I mean, we had we had um, Richard Linklater on the show not too long ago. And all I wanted to do was talk with him about the film uh, Waking Life, which was shot down in Austin. Turns out Prince was a fanatic of that movie. But I pointed out to Linklater, you know, you're kind of to blame for Alex Jones because Alex <laughs> Jones appears in that movie as a lunatic driving through the streets of Austin. Uh, uh, announcing conspiracy theories. And you were pointing out how Alex Jones really kind of got his start by being a defender of David Koresh. Um, I didn't know this. I wasn't in Austin in the 90s, but I didn't realize that that was sort of the origin story behind Alex Jones. And I'm sorry, I find it very fascinating that, you know, the lead cheerleader of right-wing white nationalism was a Koresh fan. Yeah, it's kind of come full circle, hasn't it? Right, seriously. (laughs) I mean, like I said in the tweets, and I I think I've written about this before, it always made me really uneasy because the way that Alex would portray it in the 90s, he he promoted documentaries about the Waco fire, promoting the theory that the ATF started the fire, not the Branch Davidians themselves. And so there was a way for people that kind of didn't, take Alex Jones very seriously, but didn't think he was a bad guy to tell a story where he was not trying to valorize David Koresh, but that he was trying to like blame the government for what happened. That's right. Um, But if you actually watched his public access show and watched some of his rants, it was super clear that he admired David Koresh and that, and I mean, there's only one reason to do that, which is you were really fascinated by the power that he had over his followers. And, and obviously that's something that was really appealing to Alex. Well, that includes sexual abuse. Let's be honest. I mean, that's, that's exploiting women. That's exploiting teenagers sexually. Yeah. I don't, I've never heard anything about Alex doing that, but it, I mean, he seems like a very wholesome guy in his personal (laughs) life. Absolutely. I'm with you all the way. Well, yeah, no, (laughs) that particular crime he's not been accused of, but I will say, (laughs) yeah, I mean, that's a, that's obviously there's a huge power fantasy there. Like Koresh was able to get people like men to just basically turn over their wives. Like that's a huge amount of power. (laughs) But that's Trump as well, right? I mean, it's all this whole, I mean, that's, that was Trump's whole MO and it just sort of seems like it's all about 
not viewing it as being villainous, but viewing it as winning. And that's where it's such a seductive kind of cult. It's not like a religious group encouraging you to be better. It's I've always thought the whole secret of the appeal of MAGA was saying, no, no, be as shitty as you want. You're still better than everyone else. And that's a message no president's ever tried to sell before. It's true. I mean, I think, and I've written a lot about this. I, I feel like, and in my book is about this troll nation. I feel like the appeal of Donald Trump has always been that he's a reality TV show villain and who doesn't want to be the villain? Like they they have way more fun and like, there's kind of a fun way to think about this, but then yeah. it is also in this particular case, it's permission to just be your worst self and the justification, the fallback justification is always sticking it to the libs. They have it coming. They're always they're a bunch of nanny state bores. And, you know, it's just a very, if you don't like us, you're, if, if you don't like us, you're a groomer. I mean, that's the whole Ron DeSantis playbook. If you don't like, don't say gay, you're probably a pedophile groomer. Like that's it. Once you can dehumanize your opponents and think that then that's fundamentalism. One Oh one. Anything I do against the great Satan is okay with Allah. Anything I do against liberals is okay with God. It's how extremism justifies itself. What do you think of the hearings in general, Amanda? Are you impressed so far? I, I, I'm very torn about them. They're very powerful, but I'm not really sure what we're watching. I feel the same. Um, they're obviously very persuasive. I think um, today, for instance, they laid out with, I think, damning precision the circumstantial evidence that shows that trump was actively conspiring with the oath keepers and the proud boys probably through roger stone and mike flynn to to do the capitol riot that this was not just a bunch of signaling at each other over social media and picking up on each other's signals but there was actually a secret conspiracy to make this happen which i mean it would be almost weirder if there wasn't I mean, we know that's how Trump operates, uh, the yeah. Ukrainian blackmail scandal, for instance. Um, I think that the problem is who's, who are you trying to convince, I think, is, uh, I think is the question that's on all of our minds. I mean, the people that are in on Trump, they, they don't care about the truth. They just... They just they follow their leader, they follow their hero, they spin yeah. bullshit, and they they just try to deflect. Um, the Justice Department now has been presented with a pretty airtight case that any jury should be able to convict on if they were being honest. But are they going to want to take it forward? Are they worried that it's impossible to see the jury of twelve people that would hear the case fairly? Exactly. And then the rest of us already believed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I keep saying I don't know what I mean, Donald Trump could eat a baby on live TV and it would change nobody's opinion of him. <laughs> nobody's opinion would be altered if he ate a baby on live TV. It just sort of seems like the these tribal lines are, are set. And, and I, I want to leap to abortion really quickly if I could, because you have a great piece in Salon this week. Biden's bewildering reaction to Roe. Limp response to overturn explains his drastic drop in approval. We, we talk a lot about what is the responsible thing to do when fighting fascists in a democracy. How much do you criticize the party in power? Uh, how much do you not want to help the fascists by criticizing the Biden administration while still being true to what you voted for? 
keeping that in mind, these poll numbers are what these poll numbers are. And it's incredible that if you want to see widespread public support, look for defending abortion rights. That's pretty much the ethos of your piece, right? Yeah, this is a and this was something that really gelled for me. I was in Texas uh, visiting my family who are mostly Trump voters last week. And what really struck me was how uncomfortable the row overturn made them like deeply uncomfortable. Like Tell me. they don't like it. Um, they I had multiple relatives tell me under no uncertain terms that they disagreed with it. Um, then they would start to make excuses for why it wasn't going to be as bad as it seemed. Yeah. And just goes and to the how, States. That's all. Or even if you'd say you point out that how it would be bad, they would try to dodge blame for it by saying, well, I wouldn't have voted for that and things like that. And, and this is a long roundabout way of saying, and the polling data shows this, that abortion is an issue that divides Republicans and unites Democrats. That's a, a classic wedge issue. Um, 25% of Republicans disapprove of the Roe overturn. Only 58% approve of it. And then you get different numbers on the Democratic side with 84% of Democrats strongly disapproving of the Roe overturn and like only 3% approving of it. That's the kind of issue when you want to grab like a dog with a bone, <laughs> divide yeah. your opposition, unite your, your party. And Biden just he can't do politics 101. He's he's kind of trying to defend abortion rights, but he's so crippled by his own timidity and unwillingness to pick fights over this. And I I mean, he did ex- issue the executive order, but on a bully pulpit level, what would you like to see him do? Because I I actually think you're right. I think this is a great example for him to come out and say, "Look, I come from a generation that's uncomfortable talking about this stuff, but we don't want it criminalized." It seems like there's a million ways he can address his own discomfort with the topic while still doing what 81 million people sent him to D.C. to do. Well, first of all, we should look to the right because they know how to exploit a wedge issue. They go and they find uh, people they can uphold as victims, right? Mm-hmm. They pick fights like that masterpiece cake shop um, fight. Yep. They went and found some guy who was willing to turn down a gay couple for a wedding cake, and then they made a big deal out of it. Yep. That's just good politics. And you have to be willing to pick those fights because that illustrates to the public conflict causes headlines. Headlines get people to pay attention, keeps the issue salient in people's minds. So he should pick fights. He should try to force red states to make good on all their threats to arrest doctors and women. He should try to create situations where there's clashes between red state politicians and him. Um, I suggest, you know, a lot of people have suggested putting clinics on federal lands, which doesn't mean national parks. That's a joke. That's right. Like, like VA clinics and stuff and dare red state prosecutors to try to arrest doctors going in and out. I love and it. And yeah, yeah, that's, that puts doctors at risk, but they are adults. They can be apprised of the risk and make that decision for themselves. We need, I mean, this is, again, this is also the civil rights activists playbook. People getting arrested gets attention. It creates photographs. It's, it, it keeps the, the issue salient, but Biden is like, I don't want to do that. He, totally he could go to, he could go to California or New York and talk about how the White House is going to be helping these states become sanctuary states. 
You know, it's true. And I want to get you back, Amanda, because I want to talk about your recent comments on the gerontocracy and some Democrats (laughs) who are actually viable people who could run. I know that you got a lot of heat over the people you didn't name, but I'd love to have you back as soon as we can to to talk about it. In the meantime, uh, tell us how we can follow you and what's the best way to uh, get standing room only. So I'm at salon.com. I'm a senior politics writer. You can follow me on Twitter under my name, Amanda Marcotte, and sign up for my very free newsletter, Standing Room Only, at salon.com slash newsletters. I am a subscriber, and I'm so grateful to have you here. Please come back and see us very soon. I want to cover the end of these hearings and and talk about your gerontocracy list, because uh, it's really fascinating and pretty inspiring. Ms. Marcotte, it's always an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. It's a pleasure. Enjoy your summer. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Today is the release date of the latest must-read book by our good friend Malcolm Nance. They want to kill Americans, the militias, terrorists, and deranged ideology of the Trump insurgency. It's a scathing look at the MAGA crowd we've been talking about tonight that we talked about during the hearings today and the existential threat they pose to American democracy. Now, you guys know Mr. Nance a career counterterrorism and intelligence officer for the U.S. government's Special Operations Homeland Security and Intelligence Agencies with over 33 years of experience in combating radical extremism. You have seen Mr. Nance be brilliant on everything from CNN to Fox to Al Jazeera to Bill Maher, and nothing has prepared you for the power and the urgency of his book, They Want to Kill Americans. It talks about how this strain of violence started well before the terrorist attack on our capital. And continues today. Uh, Malcolm has previously specialized in two areas, the workings of Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State, and of course, the mindset and actions of Trump and his followers. This book is very much a follow-up to his last one, The Plot to Betray America, and he blends them to examine the movement he has called Titus, the Trump insurgency in the United States. Congratulations on getting the January 6th committee to hold a hearing on this topic the day your book was released. Welcome back, Malcolm Nance. Well, thank you. And I I really appreciate you taking time to acknowledge that the January 6th committee 
finally did something that's going to be effective, which is listen to my book. Unfortunately, <laughs> it is not going to be pleasant from this point onward. And as you notice, I, I wrote this book and I gave it the harshest title available, which is yes. They Want to Kill Americans. And I don't want people to think it's ISIS or Al-Qaeda. And, you know, it, it loses its impact when I say Americans want to kill Americans. They're not Americans. These are people who are using their camouflage of their patriotism to come out and end American democracy. And this book is a warning, quite possibly a last warning, uh, from an intelligence professional let you know things are not well. You know, I prefer to use the term terrorism to insurrection, Malcolm. The dictionary definition is the unlawful use of violence and intimidation, especially against civilians, in the pursuit of political aims. I mean, to me, if we're just going by the dictionary, what happened on January 6th was a terrorist attack on our capital and on our system of government. Well, definitely. I, you know, I, I agreed with that after January 6th occurred. I called it a terrorist attack. Um, and, you know, I'm one of the, the, the people in national security. I'm very, very reticent about using terrorism willy nilly and just to, Same. you know, paint people that way. But this was an attack on the fundamentals of the American experiment. It was designed now that we're hearing, you know, I thought I had had it all figured out. And I have about 95 percent of it figured out in this book. But there's that one little factor of Donald Trump wanting to bully his Secret Service into coming to the Capitol and force them there, and that it was his plan to march down into the well of the House of Representatives and declare himself essentially king. That's where we stand into an enormous amount of danger. And the worst part is his tribe, the people that did this, the people that support that, the people that have absolutely no problem with what Donald Trump thinks and believes, no matter how stupid or, or ignorant it is, they think that they'll be able to do this again. And yeah. the people that are holding this committee are just you know bags of wind, and it will go away, but they will show up with weapons and force and, and you know mass of people to affect this once more. You know, it, it, it's so great that you're writing this book after your career of exploring um, radical Islam terrorism, because these people, by every definition I can find, Malcolm, are fundamentalists, maybe not religious fundamentalists, but by every standard of just the blind obedience, the notion that violence is acceptable if our side does it. I mean, do you find parallels between the loyalty of Trump supporters and uh, that of certain jihadists? Well, absolutely. There is almost equal parallels between how they do this, how they operate, and, uh, and the people who carry out Islamic jihadist extremism. What's most important is the very fact that they view themselves as a body unto themselves, which means that they don't care what you think. They don't care what you believe. They don't care how you live your life. They are going to impose a lifestyle on you. Yep. And the problem is, is that their cult leader, their, to be quite honest, their tribal leader, the tribal leader of the white tribe that is going to subjugate you is Donald Trump. And there's nothing he can do wrong. There's nothing that he can believe or act 
or save that will deter them. This is cultism. And I've studied this in Al-Qaeda. I've studied this in ISIS. And this is taking grip of the United States where they don't believe in objective facts at all That's right. anymore. And they would, you know what, John? They would rather kill you than yeah. have to deal with that. And well, there's a whole, maybe as much as 10 or 20% of his followers that if they were ordered to go to guns right now, they would. Yeah. I mean, that is the one thing that unites all Trump supporters. It's a penchant for authoritarianism. These people are not conservatives. They're not family values. They're certainly not followers of the Nazarene. Um, these people are, as you put them, Titus. And, and I, I want to ask you, who do they see, Malcolm, as being their enemies? Well, you know, I wrote an entire chapter. I think I may even have a couple of chapters. Yeah. They have... A, a base of very traditional enemies that have been out there for a very long time. The Jews, uh, which we, you know, we document in the book, their yep. hatred of the Jews in the United States is bizarre. I mean, it goes back to the American revolution. And then you have people who were actually followers of this sort of British Orientalism where they thought that, you know, uh, that, in, you know, the English of Europe and the whites of Europe were actually one of the lost tribes of Israel. It's, it's actually bizarre. But the anti-Semitism is off the charts. We haven't seen this level of anti-Semitism since the early 1980s. It's just mm-hmm. that now it's acceptable to them. It's absolutely acceptable when they say that, you know, the Jews are responsible for the entire global cabal that's funding Hillary Clinton, kidnapping children and drinking their blood. And that's QAnon ideology. No one stands up and says, that's wrong. You shouldn't say that. Yeah. That's where we have acceptance. And once you have that acceptance in the mainstream of the party, well, how hard is it to go and say, but we saw the guy who went to Cosmic Ping Pong, the pizza parlor in Washington, D.C., when he went in there and said, well, I thought I was saving children, so I carried out an armed hostage barricade in this place and was ready to murder people. That's the way they justify all of this. But I mean, the horrible. plausible, they hate the plausible denial. Yeah, the plausible deniability was, well, uh, Donald Trump's daughter is married to a Jewish man, so how could he possibly be behind this? Uh, yeah. As long as you don't pay attention too much to the preachers that get up there and, and speak before his rallies. I mean, he had a long array of anti-Semites in his circle. And, and, and you know, what are the signs, Malcolm? I mean, I've, I've come to just view anyone who starts using the term globalism as, as using code language. Well, you know, the, the, these ridiculous code words that they use are the way that they identify, you know, what we call identification friend or foe, uh, people that they're talking to. Someone wrote on Twitter yesterday that in the old days, they used to ask you in Missouri, uh, by question number three, what church you went to, what your religious confession was. Now, question number one is, who did you vote for in the 2020 election? Yep. And they will determine whether they view you as a human being or a non-entity based on the answer to that question. That is Rwanda level of extreme, you know, what we would call yeah. eliminationist rhetoric um, that's taking place when you just say, well, you know, if you voted for someone against Donald Trump, you're essentially an enemy of my version of America and you deserve to be killed uh, by 
you know, gun-toting patriots who are willing to stand up for what American values are and against to stop the steal. It's still murder to normal people. That's right. To them, it is acceptable. And all I am seeing, I, I wrote this book as an intelligence professional, all I am seeing is these trends that are nothing less than disturbing. Welcome back, Malcolm Nance. It's always an honor to have you with us. We are at 866-997-GRIT. This is SiriusXM. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Dave in Pittsburgh, thank you for your patience. Welcome. Hello, John. Hi. John, you must have the patience of a saint here dealing with people. I I I don't know. I don't know how you do. I, I try to, but I tend to piss people off because people want me to hang up and scream at people and call them names, and I just don't want to do that either. But it's like it's so easy to be right wing, I think, and and have a conversation. I mean, I, I've I know tons of right wing people that I get along with just fine, and they talk, and I listen, and I talk, and they listen, and we don't agree, and then we pay our tab and go home. So you know, but again, Kendall, God bless him, is a deeply, deeply insecure specimen, and uh, you can understand why that would be a threat to him. And he holds his beliefs dear. Well, John, uh, David, David, Dave, by the way, David um, tweets, Dave, our friend David tweets, Kendall does not like to be wrong. He big mad. I, I think that's a bit sophisticated for him, but I'll take it. I, I want to talk to you about uh, fighting uh, Democrat here that I think uh, some of the other Democrats should uh, take a look at and Tell me. maybe incorporate some of those ideas. Fetterman is really taking it to Dr. Oz here in Pennsylvania for the Senate. I agree. I agree. Um Recently, Dr. Oz posted this little message of his, and Thurman's team noticed that the backdrop is the same as his uh, place in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And they started listing off the properties that Dr. Oz has and, you know, talking about how, well, Pennsylvanians can't afford to go on vacation. He has two different places in New Jersey across from Manhattan. And I don't mean Fort Lee. I mean, like, the upscale area there. Yeah, He has, you know... A place in Ireland, a couple places in Turkey, which makes right. me think, is this going to be like right. Trump 2.0, you know, trying to make a deal here for uh, developing the property in there? He has oceanfront property in Florida, which, let's face it, <laughs> Mar-a-Lago, they say, is across the road from the ocean. That's right. He's on, and uh, I guess this past weekend, his uh, Fetterman's team uh, 
had an airplane with a banner fly around his place in New Jersey saying, hey, Dr. Oz, welcome home to New Jersey, Heart John. Did you see that? Heart John. I loved seeing that. It was so brilliant. I mean, John Fetterman and I think Gavin Newsom are both showing the rest of the Democrats how to not be punching bags and take the fight to the other side. In the case of Oz, I mean, it's especially egregious because, you know, he's actually taken all mention of Trump off of all of his social media taking all pictures of Trump off of his campaign website, like he got the nomination and now he's moving forward. You know, I know that Fetterman is recovering from a stroke, but like they just announced 11 million fundraising in the second quarter of 2022. What do you think is going to happen here? To me, it's like it's it, it just like it's the matchup of our dreams of incredible authenticity against an incredible carpet bagging fraud. But we know Americans have a thing for carpet bagging frauds. Frauds. I, I was going to say, you know, I'm an old soul. I would be calling him a carpet bagger, but I don't know how that fly with the young voters. But right, that's what he is. And uh, on a unrelated note, here I want to wish a happy belated birthday here from this weekend to Craig Charles. Right on. Happy I don't know birthday. if you uh, are you that familiar with his uh, work, Greg Charles. Craig. Oh, sorry, Craig Charles. I'm not. Please help me out. He was on this little British sci-fi comedy called Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf. Yes. Okay. Yes, the guy from Red Dwarf. Yes. Blister. Yeah. Yes, I do. I do know him. I never watched Red Dwarf, but uh, but it, it, big sci-fi guy, big guy in the in that scene. Oh, uh, love him in that. You know. Uh, then again, I might just have some sort of British accent. I don't know. Maybe we okay. should all go back to Britain. <laughs> well, have a good uh, night, John. yet another area where I have to hip up. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Happy birthday to uh, to Craig Charles. I was thinking Greg Charles, who's an executive at, in the comedy world. I'm really hoping that John Fetterman makes his full recovery and can start debating uh, Dr. Oz very soon, because it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean... Uh, Kyla in the Berg tweets, Mehmet Oz had someone built him a personal basketball court inside one of the nine properties he owns. John Fetterman took an empty lot and built basketball courts for less fortunate kids in his community. They called him the only person who gives us hope. The choice is easy, Pennsylvania. What's going to happen with the Senate? If there's a high turnout, you know, the Republicans are really pulling a 2012 here and nominating some real losers. Dr. Oz... Uh, Herschel Walker, I mean, Eric Greitens, a, a, a guy who beats up his wife and his kids and his mistress, Eric Greitens. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I kind of feel like the Democrats have to start taking advantage of the fact, and I know they are, but there's some real weak candidates for Senate on the Republican side this year. I haven't seen anything like it since Todd Aiken and legitimate rape back in 2012. 